Today on Let the Bible Speak. As we conclude a series in the book of Ruth, we see how God's hand is at work, not only in the lives of Ruth and Naomi, but in yours as well. and welcome to Let the Bible Speak. It's a pleasure to be here today, and particularly this week because it marks an important milestone. This week makes the 25th anniversary of the beginning of this program. We began back in 1997 in Southeast Alabama, and the program has grown through the years to be broadcast on stations across the United States and now around the world online. All of that has truly been a joy in my life to come into your homes for the past quarter century and be afforded the privilege of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And if the Lord has not returned and God is willing, I look forward to another 25 years of visiting with you from week to week and opening the Word of God together. And I hope you'll make your plans if God is willing to continue to be with me and study the Bible. Today we come to the final lesson in our series, Bread in Bethlehem from the book of Ruth. We followed a family as they left home to escape famine and learned about the tragedies and trials they suffered during that time. And now we have followed them home and seen them find a new start by the grace of God. Now these things did not simply happen. Whoever wrote the book of Ruth, whether it be Samuel or some other scribe, uh, they did not merely record a beautiful story for us to read. They were writing to show us how God has taken the fabric of lives and events and woven them together into the tapestry of salvation. Ruth may have been an obscure Moabitess who was made famous in Bethlehem, but much more than that, she became part of God's great scheme of redemption. So let's read from the closing scene of this story recorded in Ruth chapter 4, and we'll pick up the reading in verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead might not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tabar bore to Judah, the cause of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. When Naomi returned to Bethlehem with Ruth, because of all she had suffered, she felt that the hand of God was against her, but instead God's hand was upon her and working through her situation to the good of us all. We'll show how in today's lesson. We learned about the romance of Boaz and Ruth last week in The Love That Lifts Us. Today, the providence that provides for us after a song from the congregation.
left off in the story of Ruth last week, she and Naomi have finally returned to the town of Bethlehem after all the turmoil and heartache they had experienced together in the land of Moab. They are both widows and they are destitute. The famine is over and there is finally a harvest underway, but Naomi and Ruth have no fields to harvest. Naomi is bankrupt and her land has been sold. They were therefore at the mercy of neighbors and relatives who would allow them to go behind their workers and pick up the leftovers of barley from their fields along with the other indigent people. God's law required them to leave some in the corners and hard to reach places so that the poor could come and glean what was left. So Ruth goes out to do just that one day and she happens to go to the field of a wealthy bachelor in Bethlehem named Boaz. We met him last week. Now from her viewpoint, that was all a coincidence, but from God's perspective, it was providence. Boaz was a kind and gracious man who immediately noticed this young Moabite woman and was very generous with her. He not only allowed her to follow his workers and pick up what was left, he instructed them to leave extra for her and to let her take all she wanted. He even fed her and sent her home that evening with extra provisions. Now this probably seemed to her as nothing more than meeting a kind-hearted and generous neighbor and stranger. But that night when she told her mother-in-law Naomi what had happened, Naomi had other ideas. In fact, I can only imagine the relief that came over Naomi's face when Ruth told her that she had met Boaz and how he had treated her. It may have been the first time she had smiled in years because she knew Boaz because he was family. He was a close relative of her late husband, Elimelech. Not only that, but he was also very wealthy and he was eligible. And so in her mind, a plan was immediately hatched. As I began to explain last week, there were laws and traditions built into the law of Moses that now worked in Naomi and Ruth's favor. Family rights and family trees were so important to God and to His people in that dispensation, the Israelites, that God incorporated into His law provisions to preserve the family and their family line and their family property. There was, for example, the year of Jubilee, which came every 50 years. After every 49th year, the year of Jubilee would come. And it was basically a, a reset of property rights and possessions. Debts were cleared and forgiven, indentured servants were freed, property was reclaimed and restored. That was once every half century. In the meantime, though, closely related to that practice were two other laws known as the Law of the Kinsman Redeemer and the Law of Leverite Marriage. As the name suggests, the Law of the Kinsman Redeemer said that a kinsman or relative had the right to buy back property that was lost and to let the bankrupt family member repay the debt or reclaim their land under much more favorable terms. This person was called a goel, which means a redeemer. And I pointed out that for one to be a kinsman redeemer, they had to meet three qualifications. They had to be legally worthy, that is, they had to be a relative with the nearest of kin being first in line. They had to be wealthy enough to purchase the property and they had to be willing to do so. No one could force this role upon them. If the nearest relative declined to buy the land, it went to the next, and then the next, and so forth, until someone redeemed the property. Now then, if the man whose land had been lost had died, and he had no sons, well, the law of Leverite marriage then applied. And his brother, and this was apparently expanded to include others as time went by, but this brother or this person was then to marry the deceased man's widow and have a son with her to ensure that the family line would continue. 
Now we'll see today one of the reasons that was important, but these two laws will now change Ruth and Naomi's lives. So Naomi tells Ruth to go and get a bath, put on her best dress, get herself all fixed up, and go back to see Boaz that evening. When he had finished his work and eaten his supper, he would lay down with that day's harvest to protect it and would sleep for the night. And she told her to wait until he fell asleep and to quietly go and uncover his feet and lay down there at his feet. Well, what was that all about? It was nothing sensual or erotic. It was a symbolic gesture. It was an appeal. The Bible says in Ruth 3, beginning in the sixth verse, So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at at the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant, listen now, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. So you see, this was a symbol of her seeking refuge and redemption from this man who was able to do what the law stipulated and to redeem her family's estate. Not only that, but to be her husband and raise up the children that her and Naomi's son Melon had not been able to have. Well, Somewhere in all of this, Boaz came to love her. And he replies to her, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Verses 10 and 11. Well, there was a hitch in this plan, though. Boaz told her that there was a man who was a closer relative to Elimelech than he was. And so, by law, the right to redeem the property would go to him first. So he says to wait until morning, and they would go down to the city gate and get the matter all sorted out. So the next morning to the town gates he went, and that's where business was transacted in that day. And he saw the man passing by, and Boaz called him aside. And then the Bible says that he gathered ten elders of the city to be witnesses, and he had them all sit down, and he explained, now, here's the deal. He told them of Ruth's plight and that she needs someone to redeem her land. Now, that right, he says to this man, falls to you first, since you are more closely related to Elimelech, perhaps his very brother. But he says, if you don't want to redeem it, remember the man had to be willing He said, if you don't want to redeem it, then I'm next in line and I'll redeem it. The man was familiar with what it meant to be a goel, and he gladly agreed to step in and redeem the land. But what he didn't anticipate was the need for a Leverite marriage. Because Boaz then says, wait, there's more to this. She's lost her husband. He's dead. And if you redeem the land, since her husband died without children, you'll have to marry Ruth too and raise up sons with her. Well, that threw a wrench in the whole deal because this man was apparently already married and had children, and such an arrangement would unravel the inheritance that he already had in place for his family. And so he had to pass. He had to decline. And that meant that the right to redeem the land and marry Ruth now fell to Boaz, and the arrangement was there made official. Boaz then bought back the property of Ruth and Naomi, and he took Ruth to be his bride and they apparently lived happily ever after. Well, that's a wonderful heartwarming story, isn't it? It's an ancient Hallmark movie, I guess. 
But it's much, much more than that. It's the story of salvation in more ways than one. I want you to see how God's hand was on all of this, how His providence provided for them and for us. These events did not transpire by accident or happenstance. God was working first for the good of His people then. He personally redeemed Ruth along with Naomi by bringing her to the field of Boaz and by those means He graciously provided in His law. He provided for her in her great need. And You see, God's law, especially in the Old Testament, sometimes doesn't seem to make much sense to us. We read the book of Leviticus and we think, how strange. Why would God tell His people to do this or that or the other? But friend, God had a purpose for all of those things. We may not completely understand them since we're so far removed from that time and that culture, but God's Word is always right and His ways are always perfect and wise. The law of the Lord is perfect, the psalmist said in Psalm 19 verse 7. But His laws and His ways not only provided for and protected His people then, but in one way or another they foreshadowed or helped point His people forward to the ultimate fulfilling of His promises in Christ Jesus. The law was a shadow of things to come. The law pointed forward to Christ. And the events that took place under the law are part of the great mosaic of salvation, Christ Jesus the Lord. And the events of the book of Ruth are no different. And that's one of the reasons it's tucked away here in the Old Testament canon as it is. Just as Ruth was lost and broken and an alien to the kingdom of God, so were we. So was all of the human race. We were bankrupted by sin. We did not know God. We were aliens to His grace and to His kingdom, Paul says of the Gentile world in Ephesians 2 verse 12. Like Ruth, who was called to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, when we hear the gospel, we're being called to redemption and a new life in Christ and in His kingdom and to be His disciples. When we, like Ruth, respond to the gospel call in simple, trusting, obedient faith, we then follow Him and we follow Him as far as He leads. When we turn our back on the world and follow Him in obedient faith, He redeems us with His precious blood. He becomes our Goel, our kinsman redeemer. He is legally worthy, you see. He laid aside His heavenly glory and wrapped Himself in a mortal robe of flesh and became one of us in order that He might be our kinsman redeemer. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, there was one who was nearer of kin to us than he, and that was Adam and those of his earthly race. But you see, man was not able to redeem himself. All men are sinners, and therefore man cannot redeem his own race. And there were ten witnesses that testified to God's people that they needed another Redeemer. The law which came upon trembling, smoking Mount Sinai. Those commandments and man's inability to perfectly keep them declared the sinfulness of man and his inability to redeem himself. So Paul taught in Galatians 3 verses 10 through 19. So Jesus, our heavenly Boaz, agreed to come and step in and redeem those who would trust and obey him. Not only was he worthy to do so, he was able to do so. He was wealthy enough to redeem us with the price of His precious ruby-red blood shed upon the cross, the Apostle Peter later tells us. John the Revelator writes, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the, stro the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, Revelation 5 and verse 9. 
And not only that, he was willing to redeem us. No one forced him to suffer what he suffered on Calvary for us. I am the good shepherd, he said, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. John 10, verses 11 and 18. Oh, how could we not love him in return? This isn't the end of the story, though. You see, God's providence was not only working for them, he was working for us. Because in the story of Ruth, God was fulfilling promises that went back a long way. He was not only foreshadowing our redemption in Christ, he was providing for our redemption in Christ. You remember God's promise of salvation was first made in Genesis 3 and verse 15 in what is often called the primal prophecy, that one day he would send a redeemer, the seed of the woman, to crush the head of the serpent to save the lost world. And that seed promise was unfolded step by step through the ages until it was fulfilled in that little cradle in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, thousands of years later. God promised a Savior who would come from the seed of the woman Eve. He then narrowed it to the family of Seth. He later channeled it through the line of Abraham. And then even more specifically, Abraham's son Isaac. Then of the sons of Isaac, Jacob was selected instead of Esau. And then out of all of Jacob's son, God chose Judah to be the son of promise. And it would be from the line in the tribe of Judah that eventually a king and a throne would be established over God's people. And that king would one day be David. The Bible outlines. That's why those genealogies are in the Bible. They may seem unnecessary and boring to you, but they're anything but. They're there for a reason. And they show how God worked out and kept his promises to us of salvation. David, you remember, was told in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. That's a promise given to David of Jesus the Christ the ultimate king over God's people. So it goes all the way from the beginning, down through Israel, through Judah, to David, and then the children of David. And therefore, anyone who was in the direct lineage between Judah and Genesis and King David would be an ancestor of the promised Messiah, the Christ. Well, who was Boaz? He was the descendant of Salmon and Rahab. Do you remember her? She was another Gentile who came to trust in God, and God used her. But read the genealogy of King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and see how it starts with Jacob and then Judah all the way down to David, the fleshly ancestor and the kingly picture of the Christ to come. Now then read what happened in Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 and 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Do you see how God was at work? We couldn't connect the promises that were made in the beginning and that were made to Judah and thus to David. We couldn't connect all of that if it were not for these dramatic events that God brought together in the book of Ruth. God chose to weave the grim story of an obscure pagan girl into the glorious eternal story of his son. Here is a formerly cursed Moabitess 
becoming the great-grandmother of King David, and thus the ancestor of Jesus the Christ, all because God provided her with a Redeemer. She had no idea of that when she swept through the gates of Bethlehem with her mother-in-law Naomi. She had no idea that as she now made her home in Bethlehem, that nearly 1,200 years later, there would be one born in that very town of Bethlehem who would do for the human race what the Boaz whom she would soon meet would do for her. Through the story of Ruth and the events that transpired, you see, God provided us with a Redeemer. For just as she laid down at the feet of Boaz to take shelter under his wings that night, so the prophet Malachi would later point his prophetic telescope into the future and would say in Malachi 4 and verse 2 that one day one would arise for all of us with healing in his wings. And 400 years later, Jesus Christ came stepping down the starry stairway of heaven and through a virgin's womb who descended from Judah and Boaz and David. He entered time and space, becoming a man, becoming our relative in the flesh. He became our Goel, our kinsman, Redeemer. And He offers for you to come to His feet and for Him to spread His garment of protection and redemption over you. Have you come to trust in Him? Have you obeyed the gospel and become an heir to the redemption that He purchased at Calvary? Have you followed Him in faith, believing His word, repenting of your sins, turning your back on the Moab you've known? Are you willing to confess Him as the Christ and the Son of God and put Him on in baptism and become a child of the King? I hope you'll consider doing that today. Reading how I love to proclaim it, reading by the blood of the Lamb, reading for His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Reading, 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 reading by the blood of the Lamb, reading, 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 His child and you have enjoyed and been blessed by our study the last five weeks in the book of Ruth. And if you're not a child of God, if you are living in the land of Moab spiritually, I hope our story gives you the motivation and the inspiration to seek refuge and redemption in Christ Jesus, our heavenly Boaz. You today can come to His feet and you can find healing and relief from all of the burdens of sin. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you a new inheritance and a new start if you'll have the simple, trusting, obedient faith that Ruth and others like her had so long ago. And you never know what God will make of your life if you entrust it to Jesus. And you never know how God will use your life as a channel to which to share the gospel with other people and for them to find redemption as well.
you'd like a copy of our lesson today, get in touch with us and ask for the sermon, The Providence That Provides For Us, and we'll get that on its way. You can have all of the copies of the series if you'll ask for them. Be sure to join us next week for Let the Bible Speak as we will take off with a different topic, and we hope that you will join us for that and encourage others to as well. You can find us in the meantime online at ltbstv.org and on YouTube and Facebook, so be sure to like and subscribe to us on those various platforms. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you'll plan to be with me again next time if the Lord wills. Until then, have a wonderful week, and may the Lord's richest blessings abide upon you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.